Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Peck Pongpat, the founder of Impeccable, an award-winning agency, and we're going to talk about design systems for SaaS. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. Designers know that clarity is just as important as creativity. That's why designers need Zeppelin. Zeppelin lets you organize and showcase your designs for developers and PMs. Your team will understand exactly what you want to build. No more confusing design files or endless meetings. Zeppelin gives your team way more than just specs. Sign up for free at zeppelin.io to see why. Hi, Peck. Hi, Jane. Well, thank you for having me. I've been listening to your podcast for many years and congrats on it's it sounds like it looks like it's close to 10 years since you've had this podcast. So it's been an amazing Seven. Thing. Seven. Seven. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Still, still uh, two, 200 plus episodes. That's very impressive. Oh, just uh, a little bit of boasting. We just hit 2 million downloads. Uh, last oh, week. wow. That's <laughs> Congratulations. That's... Thanks. Uh, let's fl- uh, switch the tables. And uh, before we <laughs> dive into design systems, tell us more about yourself and uh, the story behind Impeccable and how you grew to like serving clients like, I don't know, Nike and everybody else of that scale <laughs> on your website. So how did that come together? Sure. Well, my, my background is in engineering. My, my degree is in computer engineering, computer science. And uh, I started out as uh, in the first probably seven years of my career as a software developer, mostly pure software developer. But uh, this was, uh, I graduated at the height of the first dot-com boom. And as it happens, you know, when you're at a small team, you, you have to wear many hats. And I had some Photoshop skills that I picked up during college. So I was always the guy who had to always, you know, kind of maybe deal with the front end and deal with the design, either chopping up assets or or whatnot, or even designing what was missing. So that uh, at some point, I came to the realization that you know I really like all things being equal, software like it was well written, they all work, but I was I gravitated towards software that was easier to use, well designed. And that really appealed to me. They're like, oh, you know, if everybody can write code and everybody writes good code, you know, the the, the winning software, the winning is the one with better user experience. So that made me want to switch over to to focus more on on design. And uh, at the time, uh, I, I became a self taught designer, uh, just learning on the job, learning through trial and error, learning through through the work that was given to me. Uh, and then over time, people stopped paying me to code and people started paying me to design. <laughs> and uh, in the last, maybe about 11 or so years ago, I moved to to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm, I'm from just Chicago. And uh, with the dreams of starting uh, my own software company, but uh, that, that didn't quite materialize. And I ended up starting a design agency. Well, I, I started needing money and started freelancing. And then that became, uh, that kind of organically grew into, to the agency. And then fast forward 10 years later, uh, here we are. <laughs> that was a roundabout long, long winded way <laughs> story. So you have a team of like 40 people or something like that. That's correct. What's the ratio of different 
types of talents there. Yeah. That's out of pure curiosity, like what you do most, you know, design yeah. or development. Yeah, we are very heavy into the design. Design, So I would say two thirds of our team is design. The other mm-hmm. third is engineering. So um, yeah, my, I think we, we have such strong design that even though we do software engineering and design, some companies or some people even today still think of us as only a design firm. So it's, it's hard to shed some of that strength uh, even though you've diversified. And if you, if you structure those designers and your work, is it, what part of it is it branding and visual design versus, you know, UI, UX design system and everything that's related to software specifically? So we're actually not, we don't do any branding, uh, visual identity and all that stuff. We're, we're pure software, uh, UX, uh, digital product design company. Okay, and then we drill further. I'm just, you know, that yeah, there's so please. many layers to niche down. Uh, and then between that work, you know, let's say website design f- front-facing versus actual interfaces. The the website is, uh, we do that as well because it does come up, right? Like, uh, I think uh, SaaS companies, companies, they, they need the, the app. But then at some point, sometimes they realize, well, well, we need the accompanying website. So can you do that as well? I would say most of our work is still, you know, the there is some website work that I would call it the marketing website, but typically they're not as complicated and not as long a project. So, so we will do those, but you know, this, I think it's not hard, hard work compared to the, the work of thinking about SAS and designing for SAS. So yeah, we, we do that, but it's, it's not the majority of our work. And my assumption in the software UX, uh, the majority is SaaS versus mobile, or is it mobile that's coming up more? Uh, often? It's still, I would say, a lot of SaaS, a lot of SaaS, and a little bit of mobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now I have, we have the perfect <laughs> slicing of what you do. Thank and you. Yeah. So design systems typically are associated with like a mature kind of company. It's rarely that a startup has one. And from my past as a UI UX consultant, the favorite type of client would be somebody who has achieved product market fit without any good design. So they have you know, all the components of success in place, except for the visual layer. And that's when it's just amazing to come in. Do you find yourself doing that? Or is it that people come to you with like mature design systems? That's a great question. And actually, it's it's more of the, the former where uh, it's not unusual it, to have like maybe a founding team of a lot of engineers and somehow they've achieved product market fit, you know, and, and people are using their product, but there's no designer. They might have used a, a default uh, design system like, like Google Material Design or Bootstrap or whatnot, but without maybe the, the benefit of a designer to, to lay it out and, and, and create good UX. So, so that is somewhat typical. A bigger company might have a design system in place. Uh, you know, they might think of a new product or maybe a version two or three of a, of a product and they're rethinking the product and that, that they might come with, you know, some, some design system, some baggage, but oftentimes they're also thinking of overhauling it as well. So they're, they're thinking they might give us some guidelines of, oh, don't be held back by the old design system or, you know, imagine, you know, if you had to start over. So, so. You you do have opportunities, even for a mature product or a mature SaaS. 
walk us through your typical project structure. So when a B2B SaaS with a nice budget comes to you for a project, what does your process look like? Sure. Well, on the sales side, we, we try to qualify the client. So things you should know as an agency, right? The, the worst thing is to just talk a lot and spend a lot of weeks and months. And then when it finally comes to it, they might not have the budget. They might not have the authority to make the decision. Uh, so, so those things, but they might not have the exact need. So, uh, one, one of the things to try to do is qualify as soon as possible. Qualifying means, you know, do they have the budget? Do they have the authority to make the decision? Or is this someone kind of lower on the totem pole, just looking around? Does the need, is their pain point match what you have to offer? And then timeline, right? Is it a timeline that's reasonable that fits your schedule? So we might be completely booked till, for example, January, but if they need it now, maybe we're not a right fit. Or if the budget is not aligned, you know, if, if let's say it's a bootstrap SaaS or they raise a tiny seed round, uh, Impeccable might not be a fit for, for them because we've, we've kind of outpriced ourselves uh, for better or for worse uh, for, for those type of clients. But if you're like a, Series A, Series B, or or just a SaaS enterprise that's already kind of past that stage, we, we might be for you, for example. Um, and then the need is something to assess as well. Like, for example, uh, we were referred a customer and one of their pain points is uh, nobody's downloading their app. Well, I said, is that really a design problem? Because it sounds like potentially a marketing problem. You try, have you tried Facebook acquisition? Have you tried improving your ASO app store optimization? So, so determining the need to fit the pain point is, is also important. So, so that's the first step is, is qualifying. Second to me is understanding their, their goals and what outcomes they're looking to achieve. So a goal, you know, obviously maybe when they're coming us to design because they feel like, you know, that like your, your prototypical customer, right? Like all in very heavy engineering SaaS product market fit, but no design. Okay. Now they realize and can afford design. Okay. Now, now they like to, to improve their UX. Great. Uh, another could be this, this comes up every so often. They actually don't need UX. They're prepping themselves for either an acquisition or an IPO or whatever, and they just need it to look better. <laughs> they don't actually want to solve any UX problem. They just like, okay, we're, we're just trying to make, you know, people are looking at our product. We're just trying to sell this and it just needs to look better. I was like, okay, so your problem is really visual design, for example. So really understand, truly understanding the need and the goal and the outcome to align to what their, their success is. So, so we had another instance where uh, this, this company was prepping for a big IPO. And again, you know, it's, UX is air quotes important, but really looking good in the eyes of the market and the shareholders and, and, uh, you know, creating the impression that everything has been revamped, redesigned was, was important. So really, again, understanding the need and solving for that exact need. And then, you know, the, the boring part of negotiations, uh, agreements, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff, drawing up the SOW. I think those are kind of like the the machinations of, of agency, right? Coming up to negotiating, like what resources you're going to need, what the project scope will be, and then executing on that. My key question was about the execution part, but we've just got a primer of some amazing, like uh, <laughs> what, what the routine of an agency owner looks like, you know, and, and your team on 
making these projects happen before you even touch, you know, your the design execution. software. <laughs> yeah. uh, we can talk about the execution. Well, being, being a service design agency, the, the way to scale in, in a consistent manner. And, and I think of us as maybe like less like a software company, but more like in, in the service world, you know, I, I look up to companies like maybe like nice hotel chains. Like we, we aim to be like a very white glove service, really take care of you. We think very consciously about the UX of our clients, not just the UX design of the design that we're producing for the users, but what is the experience that our clients will have with us, right? And and it needed to be needs to be consistent. At many years ago, uh, one of our clients said, "Hey, we've worked with you on like three projects. It was all great, but it was all different." And that, to me, I took that to heart. I was like, "Well, well, that's not great because." You know, the reason you go to big brands like Starbucks or McDonald's or whatever is because you trust that brand to provide you with a consistent experience. Like, you know what you're getting, right? The reason you drive a Volkswagen is because you know what you're getting with a Volkswagen, right? And uh, so we we really took that to heart and created uh, our team imagine what, what the impeccable experience would be like, right? So we created uh, standard operating procedures. We had uh, templates. We have... So, for example, like we have a project kickoff template. We have an even the employee onboarding. We have like employee onboarding experience thought out, right? The deck and the operating procedure and stuff like that. So we have processes and checklists and stuff like that to create a consistent experience. Whether you're uh, having a weekly meeting with a client, you know, we have a deck that they just kind of go through. That way, they don't have to remember it, but also it creates a consistent experience. We just uh, discussed that you've been able to detach yourself from daily operations. So I'm curious, have you always been procedure oriented or uh, is it because <laughs> you started to, you started to, you know, sign yourself out of this process that you focus on the procedures more? This is kind of a derail, but I'm curious. <laughs> I, I wish I could claim credit to that, but no, the reason we've you know, I, I know many agencies were much younger who scaled much faster. Uh, is because they've uh, embraced operations and, and standardization much faster. Uh, me being, I would say, have leanings towards the creative type. Have have not. I don't think of uh, operations and standard operating procedures and processes do not come natural to me. Uh, I was fortunate to, enough to have someone on my team that that's her jam. That is her, she geeks out over this. So that's how we've been able to do it. Right. So I think as an entrepreneur, right, you can try to fortify your weakness with, with try, try learning, but an easier method is to try to recruit someone who's, who's your complement. So if you're more of a creative type, you know, maybe you're good at design, you might want to have a, have a more of a hacker or a salesperson, uh, in this case, I, I was not um, procedure or op- operations oriented, but but uh, one of my people are. What does a design system mean for you? Is it um, a library of components? Is it um, code base? Uh, is it is it something else? What is it? What's the definition? List something uh, that you ship as it as a. As it's an it's all the above. It starts with you know a design system. The bare their bare bones can be as simple as a sticker sheet UI kit, right? And 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 if you can get 
companies to use that to be consistent, that's, that's, that's great. You know, that's like level one. Uh, I think having, having a design system and getting people to use it are two different things. So a lot of sites, a lot of companies now try to have, have it, um, documented in, in some sort of site and good examples of that are, you know, Apple's design system and their human interface guidelines, website, Google material design system. Uh, but on the enterprise B2B, obviously, uh, there's, there's some good ones as well. And, um, the, the reason they may make it public because, uh, you know, as a strategy, they might have an app ecosystem, right? Like an integration ecosystem. So, you want, you know, like if you're Shopify and people are building Shopify apps, you want to have a public design system documented, not just available, but documented because people need to adhere to that and you want to have best practices and, and whatnot. So if you're uh, B2B SaaS, you might want to think about eventually having a documented design system as well as uh, a site documenting it. Uh, Example show uh, we we had a client uh, Panasonic for example they came to us because you know if you go to the it's a big company big electronics company right with multiple business units pretty siloed and if you look at just go to the Play Store Apple Store and just type Panasonic right the apps all look and feel different because you know every, every business unit is its own kind of silo and every business unit might have their own agency and we we've been wor- worked on some 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 apps. So without any kind of structure or guidance, that's creating consistency for that brand is really hard. And so what we did was, uh, so internally they started thinking about a a unified design system that that would be like the Panasonic design system. And what they needed was some help with that, but as well, you know, a similar site for for Panasonic to to house their design system. And, And that's what we did for them. It's not available publicly. It's, it's an internal uh, available for internal Panasonic and, and companies that work with them. But the idea is to create consistency. And, and to your point, is it design? Is it code? Uh, it's actually both. There's 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 some design kits that are available from that site, but there's also like code snippets and code libraries available, uh, and as well as like a it's almost like a, a social network of uh, you can post your project so that you can showcase how you're using that design system so that when other projects are coming, they can kind of see real live examples of that in use. So, so that's kind of what we did. Let's say there is a software product and they have a design system and they have an internal place where it's stored and described and documented. What does it help them to do versus just just having a product? or having a product with a design system? What's the benefit? Yeah. Uh, well, one, you it's sort of like a wiki where you can define stuff, right? For example, like with Google Material Design, uh, you know, there's there's vocabulary like like chips. That chips means one thing in, in the Google Material Design system. So you can define that, and that way you have a common language. You know, as, as you scale your team, you know, you don't have to describe it as, oh, these tag little things that have these little circles. You know what I mean? You just say chips, right? So, so having a common vocabulary creates smoothness in communication, right? It, it, you, you don't have to be as verbose in your communication. We're we're speaking the same language here. If we didn't have, we, if we didn't have quite the same vocabulary, we we'd have to talk around those those ideas versus just clearly like, oh, I mean a modal, I mean chips, I mean a drop down, I mean a date range picker, like 
that's a consistent vocabulary. So having that documented and knowing exactly what what those things mean in terms of like the the actual component is is obviously a communication tool. Does having predefined components speed up the development of new things, new projects, new features, or do oh. you think it's or do you think it can be limiting? Um, well, it, it it can be a little bit of both. It, well, one, it it can definitely speed up. Uh, there's no uh, shortage of research that that design systems do and can speed up uh, development, but and design, but also reduce the cost of design. Um, so having, I mean, it's the difference between like the analogy I use is it's the difference between building a house from scratch, but, and, and going to a hardware store and buying your doors, buying your windows, you don't need to recreate all of those components, uh, as well, uh, on the, when you have the same components in engineering, they don't have to reinvent that and makes coding even faster as well. Um, but sometimes, yes, it can be limiting in that if you, do not ever, it can be limiting maybe to a designer where you know that maybe a certain pattern is way better in solving the problem, but you're restricted by the lack of components or the lack of, uh, um, you know, the components either on the design side or on, on the, the, the engineering side that can be limiting and you, you can feel frustration, you know, for the user that you can't solve the problem this way. But then again, uh, my belief is a design system is a living thing. It shouldn't, you know, if it's your design system, you should evolve it and grow it as your needs change, right? Even Twitter Bootstrap, for example, now is in its whatever fifth or sixth incarnation, right? So it's it's evolved over time. As a as a, as a UX designer in the past, I would be, you know, uh, I would be given a new project and. Um... It will consist of the same old stuff. And I've just off very often felt like I'm just doing the same old drill. And especially that uh, when you're an experienced designer, you just know what the best decisions are in many places. <laughs> and each new project, it, it does have a new visual flair, but it's all the same at heart. So does your agency have sort of a framework that you modify in order to build design systems? Or is it always new and exciting? Uh well, you know, we've actually talked about creating our own design system and UI kit, but to be honest, a lot of uh, UI kits and design systems out there are pretty robust. So we've not really seen the need to. Uh, it, it would be more of a slight vanity project and branding exercise and awareness exercise for us. But honestly, for example, I a lot of companies, for example, come to us and maybe by default, they've just used the Google material design system. I would say maybe a good chunk of, of our clients have already, their SaaS was approached using that. So so it's natural for us to, to rather than forcing them to change and create more work, we're, we're a very pragmatic agency. So we're not going to change something just for the sake of changing something, especially if it's going to add time and cost which are things that obviously startups, you know, don't have a lot of time for, and then they want to move fast. So typically we'll, we'll look at what their existing design system, you know, whether it's Tailwind, Apple or Google material design or whatnot, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work with that and, 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 you know, either evolve that, customize a little bit of that or, or, or tweak that. Eve. Designers who are listening to us will, 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 you know, be building a design system for their client. Uh, do they need to like go out, see what others do, and just 
just build their own version of it? Or is there another path? Like how do you get, can, can get inspired? Um, mm. How do you decide what components do you need? Or is, is it that you build the UI first and then you define what are the repeatable, what the repeatable components are or vice versa? Do you start with the components? It's a great question. Uh, if it's an existing product, one of the things we do is an inventory of all the components, mm -hmm. right? And uh, look at, you know, that way, again, in, in the spirit of not over-engineering or over-designing, you, you have exactly what, hey, these are the, the 10 or 20 things that, that this SaaS application needs. Uh, the other thing is understanding the product roadmap is where are they going to go? And by understanding that, you can anticipate their needs, right? Hey, if uh, if uh, eventually they're going to have a, maybe it's a web SaaS, and now, if you know, in their roadmap is they want to offer a mobile version, you might have to think about kind of the mobile components of this sticker sheet or UI kit. So, so understanding the present, understanding and designing to anticipate their, their future. Uh, sometimes we say that we do such a good job, we work ourselves out of a job. Um, we've, we've had startups that are well-funded, but we've, we've created such a good design system for them that one, they're able to, uh, have a, a mid or a junior designer, just use that, that system and just assemble versus create. And, uh, and then they don't need us. <laughs> um, but that's, that's kind of, uh, that I think speaks to the power of design systems and, uh, what, and what a well-designed system can do is enable you to move faster uh, with less resources, with less experienced resources. Um, uh, another point is obviously looking, maybe, yeah, looking at design, common design patterns out there in the industry. So if you're you're competing in a, a pretty established SaaS market, um, just like driving a car, you you get into a car, you you have certain expectations, right? If you're a driver, you expect the wheel to be right in front of you. You you the windshield to, you know, the, the, the power windows to work a certain way. So there's established patterns that, that persona, those users are expecting. So yes, you can change some of it. You can innovate, but if, if everything's brand new, you're also unnecessarily adding, adding friction. Definitely going back to cars, I've always been for many years amazed that there are so many car producers out there, but still the paradigm is the same. Like you, 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 you expect the same buttons for like cleaning your windshield and putting on the triangle lights, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, the button will be, will look the same regardless of the producer, the country, whatever not. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Right. I, ideally, you know, you should be so aware of if you are so in tune with your car you should be able to not have to use your eyes to just kind of feel your way around and, and get to an access that way you can not divert your gaze from from the driving experience which is you know you have to be safe and and that's the, the point so in that similar vein uh you know a, a product in an established market that people understand really well should feel that that intuitive right that's especially especially fascinating in the situations when you're like renting a car, getting it at the airport, you sit down and, and you drive. Like that's what UX should be for any new product. And like there should cars don't have onboarding, right? <laughs> you just right. use yeah. it. <laughs> what if 
software was like that wouldn't be amazing yeah, yeah. and uh, it's surprising sometimes of some some cars yeah when you get a rental and it's like oh where's this and where's that that's that's a can be a frustrating experience uh and similarly uh that can be a frustrating experience uh when using using SaaS. what are the mistakes you see either your clients making before you come on board or uh your team or your clients after uh they get your deliverables <laughs> uh mistakes mistakes uh well one it's not so much of a mistake but maybe lack like a thought in the design it, you know when you're when you're of the engineering mindset um you think about features right like you're a builder and you built the feature and and one mistake is just to you know think of the feature in terms of convenience for the engineer right where do i add it and uh I, i can't tell you how many times where you can look at the ui and basically you can tell the timeline of each thing because oh the the new feature basically it's at the bottom of the menu the the menu in the navigation or or you know like if there's a row of, of features or row of buttons you know the last feature was the, the the last row the button on the menu or something like that or or the last widget you know in the interface because that's just how they thought it was like oh okay we're we're just adding this feature so i'm just going to oh, put it you know wherever it makes sense next right versus uh really understanding the user flow the the jobs to be done or or even organizing right like if if you are uh working on saas and you can't quite afford a designer and you want to put your design hat on uh think about how uh your user mentally organizes that so you you might have to rearrange some of these features that you're you're developing in a in a cohesive way right like if you think about for example photoshop and you just look at the toolbar right there's there's drawing tools there's editing tools there's masking tools and they're all grouped together so you want to kind of group things uh you know kind of organize things in a cohesive uh relationship versus just throwing it on the screen and and that's just so common <laughs> another c- common mistakes it kind of goes in line with what you're saying is that when you design a product at some stage you just you just fill it up you 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 make like seven items in your navigation from the start you you cram all the corners from the start and then when the product grows there is just no place to expand it because it's already crowded from day one it's it's a pretty sad situation for a product owner yeah um i think jason fried said it said it well is your your job is not to cram uh your your product is more like a museum and you're there to curate you're not you're not the warehouse where you're collecting all the art and just shoving it in you're you're actually trying to create an experience right from and and flow if you go to an art gallery uh you know hopefully your your decisions in curating ha- have a flow and similarly uh your product should should have that that flow where you've curated all the features and and yeah there there may be some features that you don't uh have right away uh especially if you think about you know power users versus beginners uh you might want to curate an experience a different experience for one type of user like even within your even if you have a single persona i think you can slice that into uh, a casual user and 
a power user, for example, even if they're this the same or just a started user, right? If they're just starting, they don't know all the features yet. So it's not worth, uh, it's just visual clutter or mental clutter to show all those. We've talked to Samuel Hulick many times across our years that we've known each other. And he's also been a guest here. We're going to link to that in the show notes. And uh, he's a fan of personalized experiences inside, uh, inside the product. Sadly, not every company has resources for this, but maybe that is where the future goes. Like we've arrived enough to personalize the marketing website experience to tailor it a little bit. Uh, there are different ways to do that. Maybe that will make its place to the product internals too. Yeah. Um, similar story, uh, you know, as, as an Adobe partner and, and a company that works pretty closely with Adobe and the Adobe XD product, I know kind of their landing page is, is somewhat personalized, right? Because uh, someone who uses Photoshop to, you know, Photoshop has many use cases like photo editing, some people still use it for UI interfaces. Somebody uses for for print. Um, so the the interface uh, they're they're thinking of, you know I think in the history in the past everybody sees the same thing right everybody sees the same landing page. Uh, they're trying to create a more personalized experience based on what you actually do within the product. You know, for the same thing with Adobe XD, right? You you might be an interface designer. You might do uh, presentations, you might do, uh, you know, things like, you know, social posts, right. You're creating, so depending on your actual use case, uh, they might tailor, uh, or, or even your, your, uh, maturity within the product. Cause they, they have content as well. They have libraries. So if you are mostly an interface designer, uh, maybe when you land on the Adobe, uh, when you first open Adobe XD, you might see one of the pieces of content could be links to a uh, UI kits, for example. So they're, so they're trying to use, they're trying to learn how you actually use the product and then surface either tutorials or resources or content uh, so that you can be more effective in, in your role. So similarly, I think you can map map what I just told you to to your SaaS. As you've uh, done some UI kits for, for Adobe, which I'm super proud of for you, <laughs> um, you should be, definitely. Uh, what is the difference between a UI kit and a design system? Uh, well, I think one is a subset of the other. A, a UI kit alone is is not a design system necessarily, but it, it can be part of a building block of a, of, of a good design system. Should have a UI kit or a sticker sheet, but a UI kit sometimes is not enough information to to tell you a story of how to use it. So uh, a good U, uh, design system uh, will have uh, documentation or explanation on how to use it. The UI kit typically is only design and, and an engineering team will still have to kind of create all those from scratch. So I think on, on the engineering side, there should be a, a corresponding uh, code component so that they are not reinventing the wheel uh, every time as well. Uh, they are... Maybe example, uh, for example, sometimes when we design uh, UI kits, we also show the, you know, we have screens designed. We, we will design a few screens. We don't just design the, the UI kit. We'll, we'll design some screens like this is how you would use the system. Uh, and, and we go through that and we, we, we document some of that. So there's, there's some documentation. Uh, and then, you know, this is not a one and done stuff. So you should have a custodian, right? So when 
when new uh, components are introduced, maybe they get reabsorbed into the design system and they don't just live in that one single page that you designed because then then you kind of have a divergence. So so having a, a custodian who who curate new new components, new elements. Uh, and then uh, so I work I talked to somebody at uh, uh, he's in the design systems group at Workday. And they have like over a hundred apps, you know, there's business apps. So there's not just a single, single piece of software, but they have almost like a, they have a one, they have a show and tell. They, they always kind of announce new components to make sure people use it. They have, uh, you know, they're, they're always doing research in terms of what are the people are, you know, what are people innovating on? What are people changing? And then if that, that seems to apply to everything, they'll, they'll reintroduce it to the design system and then also tell the team about it, uh, as well as, uh, policing, like, uh, the use or lack of use of a design system. So when you're talking about a big mature enterprise, you know, sometimes designers just are, they're, they're, comf- you know, they're, they're doing what they're used to doing. And if they're not aware that there's a design component of this, they might not be using it. So it's like, Oh, okay. There's a design system police to kind of, um, make sure that, Hey, this, this looks like out of bounds. We actually have a component for this. So uh, having a design system group that reviews uh, designs on a regular basis is kind of part of that maturity. So design system police, you couldn't say it better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You are using the word sticker sheet a lot. And to be honest, I'm not familiar with the term. So might be that some of the listeners are not either. Could you elaborate? UI kits and sticker sheets sometimes are used interchangeably when when there's really nothing, uh, there's no explanation. It's just literally a, a, a flat sh- a sheet of of the de- of components that you're you're basically think of it as you you copy a sticker and you stick a sticker on on, on an interface, right? Uh, that that that's like the bare bones of a design system is is just giving you the components without any explanation or guidelines or guide rails on how to use it. So that's like the bare minimum sometimes of, of just having a design system. Uh, that's certainly one of the first stages. But and a lot of UI kits I would categorize as, as just purely sticker sheets. But uh, but a good design system, like I said, I think some design systems that you download will have examples of pages built on that design system. And I think that's that's a good design system because it shows you how versus just giving you the components, it's it's showing you pages built on on those components. My UX nightmare is getting a WordPress theme and uh, it has an amazing sample site and then you get it and install it. And then you have like a very blank or a very ugly homepage that you have no clue how to turn into what you've seen as a sample site. Like, and it's seriously hard to figure out even for, for a design professional. <laughs> I've had those similar experiences. Yes. Yes. So, so you know, a, a good, good, uh, product helps you, you know, it, it comes with a manual, right? Like I- imagine a Lego set without the manual, that would be horrible. <laughs> Especially that relates to knowledge-based products, just from my experience a lot, because they would have examples with custom icons and other stuff. And when you just install the knowledge-based system, you're just left with something very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, talk to me about the design system of user list. So user list is, is an established SaaS. It's what, three years old now. 
um, yeah, maybe some, what are some of the insights that you have and that, that your audience We don't have to? a good design system because it's it's me doing the design. Benedict is also pretty design savvy. I mean, he makes great decisions when left on his own. So it's very often he would uh, mock up a feature based on his technical understanding and I would go in and tweak stuff instead of... Um, so basically... My insight from running a SaaS for four years is that the amount of design labor is minuscule. I had kind of guessed about that as a consultant because I would, you know, do everything for a SaaS in like three weeks and just go away and they would have work for a year. And it's the same way in our own product a lot. So when we build like a radically new set of features or like a new part of the app, then I would actually come in open my figma file which has no symbols and other things it helps me but we don't have a documented one uh one nifty thing that we have is um i don't know the developer terms but it's called storybook which Mm. is uh which is like it's a collection of everything that we have in the ui including all the states and different button sizes and everything just laid out together it's like a sticker sheet but but already on a live product that can show you like different yeah, different, like, let's say there is a confirmation somewhere lurking in the app. It's it's pretty hard when you have a live complex tool, like UserList, has different states, different uh, notifications, pop-ups, that, like, when you launch a campaign, there is a success screen. Like, how would you go and troubleshoot that every time when you test a design? Like, But Storybook does help you to preview those things in a much easier way. So I would recommend looking into that if you, like, run an app. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that I'm really asked. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that that hits a point too, right? Like when you are very early in your SaaS journey, uh, maybe a design system is overkill, right? You or, or or creating a design system from scratch is certainly very very overkill. Maybe just use an established one, but until you have product market fit, you you don't quite know. Uh, you know, if you're still iterating on the product and and you don't quite know the features and and what the UI will look like and and you, that's constantly changing, uh, having a UI kit might actually be more frustrating. Also, if you have a very small design team where it's a, maybe a design team of one, again, maybe the benefits do not outweigh the effort at the moment uh, to to have like a overly complicated or custom uh, design kit. So so again, it's I think your life cycle matters too. We just recorded an episode with uh, Brian Lovin uh, lately, and he talks about um, him being an advisor, a design advisor to young startups. And we talk about design system a little bit too. And he basically says the same, that it's very often, you know, not necessary at the early stage. Um, yeah. We, uh, we had one client where it was a, a an early stage startup, but they, you know, because they were ex successful guys, they had some funding. Uh, but even then, they iterated on three different ideas, and it was the third idea that actually had product market fit, and they were drastically all different ideas. So, so you know, doing a design system for the first idea would have been just thrown completely thrown away because it was not the idea that they ended up going with. You know, even the second idea. So I think, again, until you have product market fit, maybe it's a little too premature to over-engineer, over-design. <laughs> One of my sentiments as a SaaS founder is that, yes, design is a big benefit of our product. And we have this unfair advantage that we can afford it from day one, have looking really good. But it does not 
guarantee you product market fit. These are like completely different things. Uh, so it it will not make or break your, like can probably break it. And it of course communicates quality and trust and beauty and joy, but it does not bring you like immediate customers. Right. And <laughs> it doesn't mean, right. It, it, it's kind of uh, like many things, right? If you're doing the wrong thing, well, you're still doing the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing beautifully, uh, intuitively, if you're still doing the wrong thing. So first make sure you're doing the right thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, let's let's finish our conversation with this great short. Um, thanks so much for your advice today. Where can people find more of your work and your agency work online? Sure. So our site is impeccable.com with a K. Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm engaged on LinkedIn. I'm not super active on Twitter, although I'm I'm endeavoring to be a little bit. You're pretty active. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've seen yeah. You there. Okay, okay. Uh, and then you know you can uh, find the the some of the design resources. Uh, some of them we've made or help, had a helping hand on the Adobe uh, XD resources site that Jane will link to. And we also, if you want to learn more about UX, uh, aside from Jane's awesome podcast, uh, I recently started one as well called what is ux uh, and we we have a very folk our focus is uh, try to interview companies like like for example we we were fortunate to interview youtube's first designer or yelp's first designer um but also like head of growth uh, design at netflix so different design roles and as you get into a bigger company there's lots of specializations and, and, uh, in different industries. So that's kind of what we try to cover, uh, as well as, uh, we, we also want to cover, uh, diverse backgrounds. So, uh, not just us funded startups or whatnot, but, uh, women, minorities, and then also companies all around the world. So one, one really interesting, uh, interview we covered was, uh, Arduino, which is actually headquartered in Italy. And that was a really cool interview as well. We're going to link to that in the show notes too. Right. Uh, so tune in to what is UX. Was it some SEO person who invented this? Uh? <laughs> no, no. Well, it's my, it's my lame attempt at, at trying to uh, do SEO. Because <laughs> that definitely like, <laughs> that's definitely what people recommend, you know? Well, you know, uh, I, I thought, you know, an interesting thing too would be to try to ask everybody what, what in your, every designer in your mind, what is, what is good UX? What is UX? And how do you explain it? And, and hopefully over time, if I ask all these uh, amazing designers, I'll have a corpus of UX as defined by some of these top designers in the world. And, and maybe one day, you know, the Google gods will bless me with uh, some SEO juice. <laughs> yeah absolutely well thanks so much Peck once again for being our guest and have an amazing rest of your week thank you Jane and thank you for having me on the show it's, it's been a real pleasure 